0: Hey guys, welcome back to Working Comic Podcast. Uh, Austin Nasso here. You're listening to episode 32, featuring Nick Rutherford. Uh, super sorry for the delay. I've been so busy. I'm very stressed. I'm moving into a new place in North Hollywood, and I'm balancing several shows. I have my weekly boy band show on Thursdays at the Improv Space in Westwood. Uh, me and my buddy Ian are doing a, uh, we're doing a, a character sketch improv stand up. Just a strange show this Thursday that I had to prep for. And me and Jesse Warren, uh, we have our uh, roast show in Seattle, also prepping for that. So sorry about the delay. Uh, This episode is definitely worth the wait, though, because I interviewed a very cool guest. Uh, I interviewed Nick Rutherford, who is a member of the very popular sketch group Good Neighbor stuff. Uh, You might know some of their sketches, like My Roommate is Gay or Outrageous Fun or like they did a Jamie Lynn Spears' uh, sketch when the pregnancy was a big thing at the time. But uh, they are great. They are probably the fit responsible for 50% of the formation of me and all my friends from home's humor. Uh, I mean, they have literally a cult following. Kyle and Beck are currently still on SNL, and Nick wrote for it. Uh, this is a great interview. We talk about uh, how Nick went from sketch writing to writing for SNL and now writing for Adult Swim. Uh, Some other cool topics that we talk about include uh, the Pomodoro technique for productivity, taking a step back and just appreciating everything going on in your life, uh, especially with comedy and people constantly comparing themselves, this is really important. Uh, Just cold calling colleges to basically get gigs and tour, Growth hacking, how Good Neighbor stuff made sketches, uh, the Good Neighbor stuff cult following, uh, and you know how writing actually happens in the rooms, and much more. This is a great interview. I'm gonna stop talking so you can listen to it. Thanks. Okay, cool. We try that. Yet. Hey guys, welcome back to Working Comic Podcast. Austin Nasso here. I'm sitting with Nick Rutherford, a co-founder of the very popular sketch channel Good Neighbor Stuff. Uh, former writer for SNL and currently a writer for Dreamcore LLC and actor uh, on Adult Swim. Hey, Austin, how's it going? Good, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, appreciate no it. No problem. How's uh, how's everything going for you right now?
1: Um, it's good. It's a very exciting, fun, but really busy time. I know we've been trying to set this up for a long time and have to reschedule over and over again. Um, season two of Dreamcore just started airing a couple weeks ago so we're like maybe a quarter of the way through the new season and we're currently in the writer's room for season three um it's uh it's all good it's very busy there's been a lot of like reasons to celebrate late into the night and then have to do a bunch of work the next day yeah Yeah. I
0: feel that yeah like you you were writing in a even today you were in the coffee shop like cranking out a lot of
1: yeah, that's I feel like for me, it's it's just small bursts work the best, you know, like I can't if I have a full day open and I, I'm just going to write all day, like I'll waste so much time just sticking around online or distracting myself. But like if I know I have an hour, I can like dive in and just like chip away a little bit at yeah. it. And then like, you know, you're in and out and then you move on to something else. So
0: that's super smart. So that's how you kind of like structure your day when you have like big assignments. To yeah,
1: do. I try to anyway. I mean, it doesn't always work out perfectly, but um, yeah, like I, I don't, there's this thing that I kind of, I kind of do, but I kind of do a cheat version of it. It's called the Pomodoro Technique. Have you ever heard of this?
0: I think I have, um, but say it's really, yeah.
1: it's, it's, it, it works wonders when you like stick to it. But basically the idea is that uh, if you're writing something, you would have, one document, your script right on your left. And then on the right, you have just a, like a scratch document, like on your laptop or whatever, even by hand, I guess you could have two little notebooks going. And you set a timer, you build up, but you start the timer at, I think, 15 minutes. And for those 15 minutes, you just have to be writing the whole time. So you either have to be in your script, writing dialogue and moving through it. Or if you like hit a wall, you go over to the scratch document and you just type whatever, just like stream of consciousness, just like I suck, I can't do this, I'm a hack, I'm really shitty at writing. <laughs> like that's usually what I do. Or you're like, what could happen next with this character? He's locked in this room. How does he get out of this room? What would he do? Bang his head against the wall? No, that's dumb. You suck. What you should do with something like this. And then eventually inspiration will come and you move back to the script. And you do that for 15 minutes. Uh, and the the, way that, the reason it's easier, I think, is that 15 minutes will always end. And then at 15 minutes, you take a five-minute break. So then you can go online and you can check Reddit and you can check email and you do anything unrelated to the writing. And then five minutes later, you do another 15 minutes. And That's I think, great. Yeah, it's it's really, 15 minutes is so manageable. And then as you keep doing it, you're supposed to build it up. So then it's 20, 25, 30 minutes, an hour. Um, I don't think I'll ever get to an hour of like focused work. But that 15 minutes or 20 minutes, whatever I set it at now, is so focused and like great. It's like easy. It's like so daunting to look at it. Empty page, and then think I have to have a whole script by the end of you know this week or whatever. And it's if it, to look at the whole project, it's for me anyway. It's like terrifying and seems impossible. But then when you go, I'm just writing for fifteen minutes. It's very like swallowable.
0: Yeah, that's yeah. so interesting. I mean, I definitely have read a lot of stuff about like different like time management things and ways to focus for uh, like when you're trying to concentrate on a task. I read something like it's good. I guess if you're doing like uh, just regular focus work, it's good to do like 40 minutes and then take like a five minute break because like we're not able to focus for more than that yeah. or something like that. Yeah. But that's really cool for the 15 minute chunks. Definitely for me, I definitely feel like it's really hard to sit down and write something that's big.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, like you hear these stories of like Jerry Seinfeld wakes up at 7 a.m. or 6 a.m. every morning and then just first thing he does is writes for three hours and then he's done with writing for the day like that seems insane to me like I I, I don't know how I mean the type of focus and dedication to that is is great and the best part is then three hours later you're like cool I'm done writing for the day I don't have to constantly kick myself for like I should be writing I didn't write today yet I'll write later I'll write later so I don't know that works for him I don't think that'd work for me but definitely like just taking tiny little bites off. Like, once we're done with this, I'll probably go back to a coffee shop and continue on for a little bit. And then, um, yeah, just, I don't know, just one step at a time. And
0: you're working on multiple projects now.
1: Yeah. For whatever reason, it's like, when it rains, it pours. So I had, we, I knew Dream Corp season three was going to start up. And I ended up selling this movie to this company called Rooster Teeth with my other two writing partners, this guy Kirk Johnson and Will Elliott. And we were waiting for the deal to close with that and everything, you know, lawyers are involved and it just, everything just takes way much, much, much longer than you think it should. And so, of course, the deal closed right when the writer's room started up again. So right now we're writing this like adventure comedy feature as well as I have like four, either four or five scripts to write for season three of Dream Corp. So I don't know, like sometimes that's okay for me. Like I, I don't mind like double dipping, you know, and like having a lot to do because you have to like parse it out and it forces you to be pretty responsible about it. Um, but it's also like, I'm just constantly stressed about it.
0: Like Yeah. That's so hard. How do you balance all these projects simultaneously?
1: I, I don't know. It always ends up just working out, but um, I think, you know, just by chipping away a little bit at a little bit of it every day and, you know, like right now the first draft of the movie is finally done and we've got to get together and discuss and fix all the major problems with it. So, like, I can put that on the back burner for right now because until the three of us can get into a room, there's not really much to be done with it. Um, and then so now I can refocus over to DreamCorp and, like, write those second drafts and take the notes on those and, and work those in there. But, yeah, the best I'll, like come home from work and write into the night but that's those are rare because it's really hard to do that for me like it's easier to wake up early like for me I'll wake up early and like go to a coffee shop for two hours before going into the writer's room and just dedicate that time to like the movie or to the script that I have to have Mm -hmm. by the end of the day Um, but yeah I don't know I always think I'm not doing enough and I'm slacking and you know I'm a failure and
0: that's crazy considering all the stuff you're doing
1: (laughs) I know it never changes it doesn't matter I don't think it Whatever level you get to, I don't think, like, well, first of all, I think it'd be sociopathic if you're, like, I'm killing it, and I'm the funniest guy, and, like, ooh, I'm on top of the world right now. I think you would just be, like, a lunatic. Yeah. But I don't, everybody I know at every level is just, like, beats themselves up, and, you know, so much of writing is just, like, banging your head into a wall and, and hating yourself, and for me, anyway.
0: That's crazy. I don't, I mean, I mean... You would think, I mean, you must give yourself some credit because you've accomplished a lot of stuff.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I don't think, you know, I'm a total hack liar, but...
0: Like, most people don't get to your level, even where you're at now. Because I'm interviewing you as someone (laughs) who's, like, really cool.
1: Well, thanks, man. Um, I think it's really... I don't think that's the default setting for me is, like, pat myself on the back. But I do think it's important to... You know, really take a step back every now and again and appreciate it, and like and realize how far you've come. Like, because as soon as you get there, it's you're like already moved on to the next thing, and you're not even enjoying it. And you've had this lifelong dream, and you're in it, and it's just you're just like,
0: well, what about that?
1: I should be doing that. And I don't know if that's just me or like yeah. the human condition in general.
0: That's what it. It seems like it's a human condition. Thing. And I think,
1: unfortunately, it might be. Like I remember, this is a really small example of it, but like I was doing stand up, and. All I wanted to do was get past it, the improv, you know, like, which means you send in your availability every week and they book you on their shows. And it seemed so far away. I was like the people who were on it seemed like they were these superstars. And I was just like, I'm never, I'm never going to get there. Like, that's just never going to happen for me. Like, it just seemed impossible. And then like a year later or some change, I got the email that was like, hey, Nick, we want you to start sending in your avails for the improv. Uh, so every week well, we'll send you this email and then you reply with a date you can do. And it was so like, oh, great. Okay, fine. Now I got to reply to this email every week. And I like had to like pump the bricks, like, what are you doing? Like a year ago, this was like an unfathomable dream to you. And now you're sending them in and you're like annoyed by it. Like as soon as you get, I don't know, it's really messed up. It's crazy. Up. Yeah. So that was a real big realization of just like, take a step back, appreciate where you are and where you've come from and how lucky you are to be there. And that's, you know,
0: I think I feel like that's true it. no matter what level you are. Like, if you don't take a step back and kind of appreciate things now, like, you're never going to yeah. be like, happy about it. Yeah. Because even, like, superstar comedians and stuff, it seems like they're like, oh, I don't know. People romanticize what it was like starting out with your friends and like going to get like Denny's after a show and like that kind of thing, yeah which is like valuable. But meanwhile, everyone, when they're in that position, it's like, oh, I want to be better. I want to be better. And then like when they are, they're like, I just want to be better. I want to be better. Yeah. Oh, i remember what it was like. And they never were even. yeah
1: like, <laughs> Exactly. You're never in the moment. You always want to be somewhere else or you're wishing you were back yeah. to like doing open mics and waiting tables. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think especially in this business, because it's so, you know, there's so many ebbs and flows to it and it's. Like it's, I think it's really important to maintain perspective and appreciation and you know, yeah, I'm not the
0: best at it all the time, but it's a conversation like this that you go, yeah, you know what? It should be proud. It should yeah. be. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, so yeah, you're doing a lot. You came from a background of sketch comedy, right? Uh-huh. Was that your, the first kind of comedy or you did improv at USC? I
1: did improv. Also. I did like a lot of theater growing up, just like community children's theater stuff. I was really into that. Um, and I knew I wanted to be a stand-up, and I knew I wanted to write and make movies. So in college, I was going to USC for theater. Uh, I got a theater degree, which, you know, is not very helpful, but through that, I met Beck and Kyle and Dave, and then we formed our group. So if there's any vote for college, it's that, like, you usually meet people that you're going to work with for the rest of your lives. Um, And there I was taking screenwriting like, I was a minor in screenwriting. So, I would write scripts and like TV shows, kind of, but just at the college level. And we were doing, the three of us got into this improv group called Comedus Interruptus at USC. You high on back. Yeah, we both, we all got in together. So, we were like the newbies in this group. And so, we became like fast friends. And twice a year, they would do a sketch show. So, we all wanted, so we would write sketches and put up this live sketch show. And then also, Dave, who, um, uh, was going to film school at the time was like who's was a great director a great editor and great shooter So he had no interest in being in front of the camera All he wanted to do was just shoot and then edit and then like help make videos so we kind of had this perfect storm that we were Start we started shooting videos for the comedians interrupted shows and then we we also we really wanted to do what Lonely Island did Lonely Island was just, you know, this internet sketch group that then got hired on SNL. So we were like, oh, let's just do that. I didn't know that was a way to do that. Like, that's a new path.
0: That's awesome.
1: So when we graduated, initially I moved straight, I graduated a year before them. So I moved straight to New York and just started doing stand-up. And then when they graduated, we knew we wanted to start a sketch group and put videos online. So I moved back to L.A. and we just started writing and meeting often we were, three of us were living together eventually all four of us were living together and we just like lived in this wow party sketch house
0: that's just, so fun yeah it was so, super fun when was this now like uh... might be 2008 or
1: something
0: yeah. cuz i graduated
1: okay. in 06 and i think they graduated 07 so it was like 2007 2008 and initially we we wanted to go on tour and so we cold emailed like hundreds of colleges and we just were like, "Hey, we're a sketch group. We want to come out and perform for you guys." Like I don't think that's how it works at all. I think we booked like maybe four colleges on the East Coast. And one of them was like, Stanford or some crazy university that was going to fly us out. And so we're like, "This is great. We' made it." And then the week before they called and said, "No, the whole show's canceled." And we're like, "Oh, okay, that's Whoa. not very cool. Uh, But they were like, but we're we're totally going to, you can keep the plane tickets. We'll still fly you out. So we just had like this week off. So we went to, we stayed in New York with some buddies that I used to live with. And we did a bunch of, you know, live shows that you could do. We just booked ourselves on like, you know, nightly sketch shows at like UCB and stuff like that. And then we went on this little mini road trip and went to these colleges, these tiny little colleges. And was this
0: after you guys were like pretty viral? I think it was
1: after, it definitely wasn't like the peak of Good Neighbors like popularity, but it was like after we, had that Jamie Lynn Spears video that kind of took off. So we could point to like a one crazy viral video that we had. Um, and that was kind of it. Uh-huh. But we had some like we had this is back like now it's all YouTube, right? This was back when like there was funnier Die and Heavy.com and Crackle and like all there was like nine sites that you had to upload to. And so we would just we lived by campus still. And there was this really high tech um, like computer lab for a film and we would just stand, Dave and I would go and stand outside the door until a student would come in with their ID card and un- open it for us. Then we'd go in and go to this wide open computer lab, Wow. which is top of the line, like Macs, just like just a sea of them. And we would just upload our videos or edit in there. And I remember like Funny or Die had this algorithm that if you, it was just the number of views would get you to the front page. So if you uploaded something and then watched it 600 times it would go to the front page really yeah and we knew that so we would just load up like seven browser pages on each mac with like our video and then we would just literally on rolly chairs like hit like 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 or funny 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 on one mac slide down to the next mac you wouldn't even have to
0: log in to do that
1: no i know i guess you didn't have to log in yeah yeah there was nothing like that and so because of that we got to the front page and then like Adam McKay who's one of the founders of Funnier Die like picked one of our videos and made it his like Adam's pick for the month or something and it was it was that video um, I don't even know the name of it or my fucking best friend I think or maybe the name changed but basically it's the video where like Kyle comes home and I'm having sex with his girlfriend and then every time he turns his back I start having sex with his girlfriend again. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so Adam McKay was like just gave this glowing review like one line it was like you know what makes good neighbor work is the acting like they're really solid and it makes it all the funnier in the end or something it's a really really nice thing that he said about us and he was this famous comedy director so we would put that in our emails to colleges just like
0: we Wait, sorry who said this? this Adam McKay oh yeah he's also a famous comedy director yeah in addition to yeah yeah he him and like Will
1: Ferrell right? created Funnier Die and I mean, Adam McKay directed know, like Anchorman community. and all this stuff so so we had this, like, comedy god say we were funny, and so we just used that to, like, we rode the wave of that for a long time. Just, like, Adam McKay said so we're funny. Let us come to your school and give us, like, $1,000 to perform for the night.
0: Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, and
1: it worked 2% of the time.
0: Most people just wouldn't reply. Yeah,
1: that's true. That's true.
0: That's um, awesome. So you just cold emailed. That's really yeah. exciting.
1: I mean, it was a real, like, like, Wild Wild West time of our lives. Because at the same time... We had our buddy Patrick, who's really smart film guy, but wanted to be a manager. So then he was our manager. So he was like emailing schools with us, and then him and his girlfriend broke up, and then he was living on the floor of my bedroom. So oh then God. it was like all of us were living in this one house, including our manager. Like it was very like low-fi, like budget production we had going. Jeez. So then he came on tour. It was very. I mean, it was very exciting. But that's like, so
0: fun. So very, ra- very ragged. Did you? Um... What did you did you do that full time basically at the time? We all were working
1: different jobs. Like Beck was waiting tables uh at this place in Los Feliz. I was waiting tables at like a cheesecake factory type chain shit restaurant. Uh Kyle was like working in the film archives at USC. So we all had jobs, but you know they were part-time enough and flexible enough and that we could take time off and and it, you know, we'd get the occasional, like, commercial work or, like, voiceover gig and stuff that would supplement it. But, I mean, waiting tables and the occasional, like, acting job that would, you know, would pay kind of nothing because it would be, like, some internet job or something. And then we would just use our spare time to, like, book this stuff and make videos and all that.
0: That's so cool. So what was the process like for making a sketch, uh, like one of your video sketches?
1: It it really varied. Um Typically, somebody would have an idea. We tried to meet like semi-regularly, which even then was very hard to do. Now it's like impossible. But like we try to make sure the four of us could like meet and have a focus meeting on sketches. And ideally, it'd be like you'd bring in two or three ideas. So it could be from Kyle coming in and saying, I got this idea about doing like the hook dinner scene from, you know, the dinner scene from hook. But like us eating at home with and that's it and then we would just joke about it and talk about it and kind of beat it out or somebody would come in with a full script that we would give notes and like tweak and usually like have to figure out an ending for or you know or a new idea would pop up in the meeting so it, it went from somebody writing the whole thing to be like here's i got that i got it right here to just like is there anything funny about this and then all of us like kind of exploring it together and then shooting it we would be scripted but we weren't too uh we weren't too strict about it you know like we knew we could probably make it better as we were just goofing around mm-hmm. and being ourselves so like we wouldn't be too strict with the actual script and then a lot of times not too often because I don't think this is a great way to work but a lot of times we wouldn't have an ending until we started shooting it yeah and then it's like you kind of see what's really working what's funny and then you find a way to kind of turn it on its head at the end
0: that's cool yeah uh sorry blanked out on what I was gonna say oh no problem um, Yeah, it's so interesting. I mean, my sketch group, we had a pretty similar process uh, where we sometimes wouldn't bring scripts and kind of improvise it. Like we had a couple good sketches like that, but then we found out that it wasn't uh, that repeatable. Yeah, Because like if we didn't have a a script, it was really hard to like really come up with something on the spot. Yeah, and then Um, the
1: pressure's on and like if it's not successful, then you're less likely. Then you're like Discouraged from doing that again, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of ours were improvised fully, but you know, certainly we knew like we had B a beginning middle in it. Yeah, exactly.
0: That's cool. How did you guys? So, uh, Dave uh, was the cinematographer. Yeah, right? he
1: directed, edited, and shot everything. And then we would just crew it ourselves. So, we would shoot Kyle, and I'd hold a boom mic as he was like talking to my character. And then they'd flip the camera around, Kyle would hold the boom mic to get my coverage. Like It was real like
0: yeah. guerrilla style. That, so that's interesting. So one thing that I'm like struggling with right now and figuring out is like, I like writing my own sketches and I thought I liked directing them too, but I guess it seems like it, it is pretty much a, this is such a basic question, but it's, it seems like they're, they're very different creative controls to have. Like uh, writing it versus directing it. Yeah, uh,
1: I guess so. I mean, I also enjoy writing and directing it because I think like, you know, this is not how Hollywood works unless you're, you know, like some some famous director who gets to direct his own scripts that he writes. But like, you write it because you have this vision of what it's gonna be, and then to hand it off to somebody else who may have a different vision is like is a little frustrating so ideally in the perfect world it's like you get to control it from start to finish you know including like a final edit but um, it doesn't always happen that way.
0: Yeah. Um, Do you know of any sort of uh, have you ever been on a set where someone directs how it's gonna how the action is but like less so of what is exactly on camera because I feel like I struggle with storyboarding and uh-huh. like f- seeing what shots to get yeah. but have a better like understanding of how I want this to go and how I want yeah. people to interact.
1: I mean, I think the more you can, you, you know, I think if like that's where you struggle then that's where you should lean in on and like, you know, w- like, watch good movies and then note where the camera is put and what it feels like, you know, like really treat it like a study. But, Technically, that's the DP's job. So if you're just like, I know how to make this funny, and I know where I want the story to go, and I know like where I want the characters to start and end at each scene, like emotionally or story-wise, then you just need a great DP who's like, you guys would have a full meeting and like meet for, for hours and hours and talk about it, and then he would storyboard it, or you would have a storyboard artist there, and like, that's not a you know, it's not a deal breaker if you're not like into that type of thing. Um, I think it's always an advantage to be versed in every part of it, just because yeah. you'll have the language to talk to the other people who are better at it than you. Um, but I think it's a collab- It's always a collaboration between the director and the DP, and ideally the DP is, you know, gets your vision, but also adds his own flavor or her own flavor that makes it, um, you know, kind of sing a little more.
0: Yeah. So it seems like in your case. Uh Dave had a good eye for, like, DP stuff and just general directing.
1: Yeah, I think Dave's, like, strength is bringing the funny out of everybody, you know? And he was also being experimental with camera and there's like, really great camera work. And so we got very lucky. Plus, like, it's the four of us who are all best friends, like, making each other laugh. And when—on a very low-stakes kind of set. So if my job is just to make Dave laugh hard enough that the camera shakes— and then we have to do it again, that's great. You know, it's like, it's not like a static, you you know, you do a professional set, and it's like, nobody's laughing, because if they do, they're doing a terrible job, and they we have to reshoot something, and you lose money. So you're kind of performing in a vacuum a lot of the times. But I think Dave is really good at that too, is like bringing it out of you, and like keeping it going until he gets what he wants.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, So you guys made a couple viral videos, and it seems like some of it was strategic, like uh, like the refreshing in the lab, uh, for funny or die, the or, oh, sorry yeah, just yeah, like yeah, sure. keeping clicking funny. Uh, were there other things that you guys would do to like help you guys go viral?
1: No, not. I mean, we there were we were pretty deliberate about wanting to only put out really great stuff. So we kind of partnered with this company called Maker Studios. They brought us in under the fold. This guy, Kasim G, who's a really funny, great friend, was a fan. And we he brought us into his company, which basically was just like viral video studio, for lack of a better term. And they were signing a bunch of YouTube channels and just putting them all under the, the umbrella. And then you would do a video, like collaborate with another YouTube channel and grow each other's audiences that way. And their kind of MO was you everybody needs to do vlogs and you need to be putting out videos at least once a week ideally you put out a video every day that's how you grow your audience and none of us were really into that it was just like we wanted to just do
0: we didn't, stuff you like yeah
1: we want to do stuff we like we didn't want to be these personalities we didn't want to you know like hey we never wanted to say like hey youtube so uh we just really didn't and they were okay with you know they there's nothing they could do we just didn't do what they wanted us to do um, but what we did do is we would shoot they had great resources we like you know we had we now had access to a full crew and like a producing team and everything so we, we were able to do these bigger ideas and had like a team of uh, support around us but there's a few times we'd shoot a video edit it over and over again and then at the end of the day just go now nah, this is no good like there's a couple of sketches at least a couple that are just like on a hard drive somewhere that nobody's ever seen really or we've done them at a few live shows like in town or like on the road but for the most part, like, yeah, they're just kind of buried, like the archives. Um, so, the most in terms of like strategic, yeah, I think trying to get our video in a place where more people will see it by like, by, uh, you know, fake amping up the view count, that's pretty strategic, but also I just think kind of smart. And uh, the other thing, the one thing we did, we never did anything topical. You know, there's kind of a timelessness to these videos other than like they're SD and like, you know, they're on a, you know, they're not, Uh, widescreen format yeah um but we never really wanted to you know talk about pop culture that much it just didn't interest us but there was like the one video that kind of put us on the map is the least like anything we've ever done and or ever did since is that jamie lynn spears is pregnant video super like topical like there was this news that at the time was the hugest deal that like Britney Spears' sister got pregnant. She was very young, like 18 or something, maybe younger than that, I don't know. But there was like this big celebrity gossip news. And it was actually right around the it was right around the holidays. So Beck was in Chicago, had just left for Chicago, and Kyle was in San Diego. It was just Dave and I living in LA together because we just hadn't left yet. And I think I was like, we should, we should, I pitched the idea to Dave. I was like, we should just go shoot this tomorrow. Like, it'll just be topical. Who knows? Maybe it'll make a wave. And we got this little girl on Craigslist. We posted an ad for, like, we needed an actress. We got this little girl, Heaven Tiffany Skye. And then with my brother and his girlfriend at the time, went to Canaan Road in Beverly Hills and just shot this TMZ-style, like, paparazzi video of us. That's so Of us, like, approaching Jamie Lynn Spears, who was just this, like, two-year-old, precocious little girl wearing, like, huge sunglasses. And all we did was just shoot her for, like... (laughs) An hour or two and, you know, just fed her things to say, like, no, like, you know, no more questions and like, I'm a mommy, like just cute things. Like she's, you know, she's two. So she's pretty limited in what she can comprehend. And then later we just put it together and cut it with that TMZ style, like flash transition. Yeah. And then based on what responses we liked of hers, I just VO'd me being the off camera guy, like Jamie Lynn, Jamie, like this shitty paparazzi question guys. And then it happened to be her mom brought their, like, other baby who was, like, a baby baby, like, months old. And so we were, like, can we put her in the video too? And she's, like, yeah, sure. So it cuts to, like, Jamie Lynn walking into this, like, SUV. And you hear me go, like, oh, it's Brittany. Brittany's driving. And then we, like, (laughs) we whip the camera into the car. And it's just a baby, like, this, like, baby just sitting on the driver's seat in this SUV, and she's holding, like, a coffee cup, and she's a baby, so she can't really hold herself up, and she kind of, like, pretends to drink the coffee cup and then drops it, and we're like, Brittany's drunk. She's drunk again, because this was also when Brittany was, like, going off the deep end a little bit, and then with just a whip cut, like, you know, you whip away, like, because they threw something out the window, and we whipped away, and then when we whipped back, we did a cut there, and then the SUV, like, speeds off down the street.
0: So we just made this stupid
1: fucking topical, like, Pop culture, commentary thing, like nothing we've ever done, nothing we have any interest in doing, and like the next day, Perez Hilton like put it on his blog, and then it got like five million views in like a day. Insane. And yeah, and so so that kind of put us on the map. That like opened up some doors for us, but...
0: Yeah, uh, it's interesting because you were talking about uh, what CasMG was trying to get you guys to do. It seems like now the YouTube algorithm's like all oh, like 10 minutes plus vlogs, like... Everyone's making – and all the viral content, Instagram and Facebook, just seem to be like, I don't know, like magic tricks and pranks. and.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of – I don't even know what – it's a, It's such a zoo now. and Like, I barely dip into that world. Um, like, I, it's like tutorial. It's like people really into, like, tutorials or, like – it's all personality-driven. I mean, it was then, too, you know. Yeah. Um,
0: I'm trying to navigate it now, and it's so interesting. Like, all the people – that were big on YouTube around the time you guys were, like that dude Fred. And, oh, uh, yeah. Forgot about Fred. He was in my improv class. Really? Yeah, like just now. Wow. Uh, Is and he so nice? I interviewed him. Yeah, he's really nice. Yeah, oh, that's cool. Lucas Krukshank. And that's then cool. um, what else? Uh, Michael Rousselet from like Five Second Films. Oh, yeah. And those guys are still around. I see those guys Dad a lot. Dead Kevin. Well, Dead Kevin was more recent, actually. But yeah, like it seems like it was all like what 2000 like six to 2012. Yeah, was like huge for sketches. Yeah, there like, was, like you can kill online with sketches. I, yeah, I mean there were so many groups that came out of that time.
1: I, I think yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's now flooded with makeup tutorials and unboxing videos and like Twitch is like such a huge. Yeah, thing. yeah there's gaming. just so many options. Um, but. That's why I think it's important to do what you want to do. Because also, like, a lot of those people who were doing very personality-driven stuff got burnt out from doing it and then found that their fans, you know, would still only wanted that. Yeah. It's like, we just want you to, Fred, we just want you to be Fred. And they've matured past it and are like, I don't want to do that anymore. And then your fans have this weird entitlement of like, no, but this is what you always do.
0: So I think, like... It's like starting over. Yeah. So, like,
1: d- trying to tie it to you saying, like, uh, you know, what, what did you do that was, like, calculated or, you know, strategic? Like, I think it's really – I don't know. It's kind of – to me, if it's something you really enjoy and you want the quality of it to be exceptional every single time, that's better than being strategic and saying, you know, ooh, what should be – what's going to be hot this week and and how am I going to get the attention of people this week? I mean, we did that with Jamie Lynn, but truly what we should have done from that point on, if you're being that strategic is like, this video got 6 million views. What's the next TMZ style like paparazzi film we can do? Like, that's what we should have. We could have just done that and then gotten burnt out from this kind of hacky comedy after a while. So I think if you're true to what you think is funny, I think that's always a better place to come at anything is like, this is what I want to do. This is what entertains me versus, you know. So putting
0: yourself in a, a niche box yeah, or something like yeah. that.
1: Yeah, just because you think it's going to give you an advantage over, you know, the other people. Because over
0: the entirety of your career, you might, like, when looking back, you, like, actually appreciate all the content that you made and like it. Yeah. Instead of like, oh, I only made this one type of thing.
1: Right. And, like, you know, if you want to have a longer career, and not saying that people who, you know, vloggers and – very personality driven channels like those people aren't successful. Like, I have a lot of friends who came from that world and are very successful and doing great. Um, but like, if you're trying to have a longer career, especially in the industry, I think if you have a really spectacular body of work to point to, it for me, and I know it's shifting a little bit, is better than being like, Well, I have 50 million subscribers and I do this like squeaky voice, yeah, like bratty kid you know so I think across the board it's just better to like and like like I said we would not put out things unless we thought it was really stellar and we thought it was really you know pushing our own stuff um, so
0: it seems like a lot of people are getting a lot of subscribers or like um, whatever followers by doing something maybe neat specific and then branching out into like other areas. Yeah. that's what I'm noticing like yeah, well, it's,
1: I mean, it's a very true thing. I've I've heard from casting people and from producers, um, you know, oh, we should put so and so in because they have two and a half million followers on Instagram. Like, even though they're not the right person for the role, blah, blah blah. It's like they have access to two and a half million people that want to see what they're doing. They
0: have a built-in yeah, uh, like uh, customer. Yeah, because it's like these people that are selling movies and. TV shows and stuff like that. They just want to sell it to get a return on their investment. So they're like, yeah, these people already have more like followers than us.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like they can put it in front of two and a half million people for free basically. And we get to tap into that market. It's
0: insane how that works. Like the gatekeeper thing where even a lot of people that might even have 10 million followers, if they still go that route of like, uh, going on a TV show or making a movie, it's like, they're not realizing that they're providing this huge benefit to the... Yeah.
1: Well, or they are, and they're using or, it to their advantage. Yeah, or you they're know? milking it. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, I think if you have that audience, you should. Um, you know, you should milk it. I think it's frustrating when it's like it, it goes to somebody who maybe isn't as deserving of the part, but that's just the business. I yeah, not living, like you know? a genuine comedic
0: yeah. actor, writer or yeah. something.
1: I think it's... I mean, I just think it's also hard to... Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it can be harder to break out of that too. Like if you cuz even like I know these are the people who get like bad news, but what's this Jake Paul? Was that I yeah. think like him and his brother Logan like Logan and Jake. Yeah. They're just like vilified now and you know, like I I don't know what's going on with them professionally, but like everybody just got really sick of them. So you're either like a Jake Paul head or a Logan head and you're like all about it or you're like an adult in the industry and you're like, mm, I don't know about this. Yeah. So it's like, you know, it's it's a two-edged sword. It can help you open up a lot of doors, but can also pigeonhole you into kind of this one-note thing that I think is really dangerous and you don't want to be a part of.
0: Yeah, that's so interesting. What uh benefits have you gotten or things have you gotten out of uh, being on Good Neighbor?
1: Um, I mean, Good Neighbor just opened up so many doors, you know. Like, I think we were like quietly popular you know we never were like trendy it was like kind of which i think is the best like when i run into people who are good neighbor fans they're always super nice they're super like cool and there's this feeling of like you know i discovered i discovered you not not you know like i was the one who showed it to my friend group yeah you know before I mean? like, it was like yeah huge it was it's not like you know not not to shit on South Park but like South Park it's like everybody watches South Park but Good Neighbor was like kind of this interesting underground thing Yeah. so people who when you recognize somebody like if Good Neighbor fans I think get along really well because it's like oh we got this little secret that, that yeah, you know everyone
0: would do that at, like parties and stuff even in college and high yeah. school for me so they'd say lines from your sketches and then like uh, i would be like Oh, what, dude? That's crazy. What? I'm not gay. Oh, like, yeah, everyone yeah, yeah, sure, do that to each other. Sure. bad. And I
1: think it's because of that now, everybody, you know, I, there's like um, a really nice level of respect from our fan base. And we have a level of respect for the fan base, too. And I think that just, some, you know, so many, that opens up so many doors because they're like, oh, I love, you know, I really love watching you guys in college. Let's, let's figure out what you're working on now. It just gives you like a pedigree of some sort. Which is so weird to say, because it's like, we were just dicking around with it.
0: It's so true. I mean, you had a huge following. I told you earlier, but like you guys genuinely made the humor of my friend group in high school. (laughs) Thanks, man. We were probably like sophomores in high school.
1: Yeah, that's like the sweet spot.
0: (laughs) And we loved it a lot. And I still love it. It's so funny. Uh, So how did you transition from writing sketches to like doing TV shows and movies?
1: So this is like a direct connection to good neighbors. The first like real TV job I had was working at this company called Fox ADHD, which was basically trying to do, um, Adult Swim. They were going to do a bunch of quarter hour, like 15 minute cartoons for very cheap and put it on like an hour block late at night. Like Adult Swim more or less is short form wackadoo. Yeah. Cartoon. Do you work
0: with Eric Moneypenny? You know who that is?
1: Yeah, I do, but not really directly. Okay. Yeah.
0: He I think he was mentioning Fox ADHD yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. Is that AOK now? Is that a thing?
1: Oh, I don't know, maybe. Or if maybe some of the people from there went over to AOK. ADHD, this is also what happens he which is insane. That too. So from Maker Studios, Beck and I created Theater of Life and then from Theater of Life, the head of this ADHD company, a guy named Nick Weidenfeld, brought me in, brought Beck and I in to be like, oh, I love Good Neighbor. We love this show. Do you guys want to pitch us some shows? And so Beck and I came up with like three or four pitches, showed it to them. I think they pretty much passed on all of them. But we're like, do you want to write on our existing shows? Like, do you want to be in our rooms? And Beck didn't really, wasn't really interested. He was like acting a lot and auditioning a lot. And he, that was kind of what he wanted to focus on. But I was all about it. So I kind of stayed in the fold, worked there for, for like a year, eventually was like voice a voice on one of their cartoons and was like, kind of climbing the ranks as just writing on these cartoons over there. and then uh, and then Fox, they were owned by Fox, but they weren't you know Fox just bought him basically. Fox went through like a uh, regime change and the head of Fox was fired and the head of Fox was the guy who created ADHD. And so when he got fired, the new head came in and this happens all the time and it's really weird and, and like very sad. just was like, well anything I didn't create, I'm shutting down. So he basically cut the funding and killed ADHD. Wow because it wasn't his project. And like, why would he just sit around and and wait for it? So,
0: well, isn't it? That's interesting because you'd think like the direction of the company has some benefit from this huge like department.
1: This is like, I don't know the full details of it, but like, it's just corporate politics, you know? And I think ADHD, it's more complicated than this, but basically ADHD was like, we can do, I don't even really, somebody's going to listen to this and be like, that's not how it is at all. But apparently there's Fox and there's 20th Century. 20th Century was, like, does Simpsons and does all those animated shows, right? Fox is, like, the studio. 20th Century is just, like, a subsection of it. So, uh, ADHD came in and said, we can do cartoons better and cheaper than 20th Century. Not to, like, knock them out, but just, like, give us money, too. We'll supplement it.
0: Oh, so, okay. then 20th
1: Century was, like, who are these new guys who are coming in saying they're better than us? Oh, they're, and, like,
0: separate divisions. Yeah, they're under all separate Fox. divisions.
1: And then 20th Century and Fox merged. So, now the new Kings of the Castle were the guys who ADHD said, hey, we can do it better than you. And so they're like, you're not doing it at all anymore. That's my very, very loose understanding. Oh, uh, okay. Um, but through that, I met all these great people, like the two head writers at the company, uh, Dave Jesser and Matt, Silvers- Matt Silverstein. Why do I say Matt Silverstein? Matt Silverstein, I like, I've worked at them many times since. You know, They're just like TV like writer gurus. Um, Angela Petrella was like the head of development over there and I keep like having opportunities to work with her um, so truly just from people liking this shit online they say hey come in and take a meeting oh we like you have a seat at the little boy writing table oh you're pretty good have a seat at the big boy writing table what's
0: the little boy writing table you know it'd
1: be like writing sketches or um, really like short because they were doing also online shorts and they were doing TV shows and then the, one of the shows I was writing on called Golden the Insatiable which was great Um, it was a 15-minute Fox bought it or Fox decided it was good enough for primetime so they changed it into a half-hour show and then I ended up writing the half-hours you know with other writers Um, and then that's what got me in the WGA because then it had to become Writers Guild show Uh, and then somewhere during that time we all auditioned for for, uh, SNL and then everybody you know the famous, quite famously, Beck, Kyle, and Dave all got hired, and I didn't. So I stayed back, worked another year at at a ADHD, and then the following year got hired as a writer, and then said thanks and goodbye to to ADHD and moved to New York. And then oh, that, wow. the next year it got shut down.
0: Okay, so you, ADHD was still existing during the SNL. I'm trying to yeah, was it was make kind of a like final of this year or two thing.
1: Okay, I know the timeline's kind of blurry to me too. But also like a year in New York working on SNL is a pretty blurry. So.
0: Time between like the viral success of uh, good neighbor stuff and them going to SNL you were doing some TV writing and then you wrote yeah. for SNL and then went back to TV writing
1: yeah i was writing at i still like i had still had my job at ADHD and that was still going strong so i just stayed in town and did that then i had to quit and they were very cool about it you know like i got hired and told them i was like i'm sorry i had to break my contract to go to new york and of course everybody was like of course like your, bo- your friends are out there. That's your guys' dream. Nobody's standing in your way. Like, they could have just been like, no, you're contractually obligated to be here. But of course, nobody would do that. Um,
0: yeah, your employers are just like, yeah, you can break it. Yeah,
1: they were just like, congrats. That's awesome. We're so happy for you. Get out of here. Uh, that's so cool. Yeah, they're, I mean, that's why I still maintain friendships with all of them. They're great. And then went to uh, New York, wrote for a year, then didn't get renewed for another contract. Was like devastated once again. I came back. I had just the summer before. I had auditioned for Dreamcorp Dream Corp LLC on Adult Swim, just a pilot, and I got cast in it. And I we shot it, and then I never heard from it again. And then the day I got back from New York, literally the day I got back, the after, creator like after I
0: not getting your contract, with yeah, you.
1: yeah. Uh, the creator of the show, Daniel Stessen, calls me to say. Hey, man, we were picked up to do a first season at DreamCorp. Um, I want to change your roles because I was just a guest star in the first episode. I like, I'm going to change your role so that you work within the company. You're like you're a series regular. And also, I want you to help me write all the episodes. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it actually there was. I didn't know I was fired yet, but I just got back to New York. And so I was like, well, this is great. I would love to do that, but I'm going to have to go back to New York in like three months. So we're going to have to move
0: fast. And then, like, three uh, weeks later, I got fired.
1: Yeah, there's like a gray zone where you don't know if
0: you're coming back. For, until like May to August or something. Yeah. I just interviewed John Ronitsky. Oh, talked yeah. About this yeah, I'd love to thing. talk
1: to him about it, too. He's he, a super he probably nice guy. must have felt similar. Yeah, yeah. They just leave you in the dark for a while. Um, so it truly went from, like, you know, SNL is very classically a very stressful environment. And. You know for the schedule reason and what they accomplish every week like there's a lot of reasons why it's just a high um high uh what am i trying
0: to say stress, stress. yeah stress or something what I was, was high... that like while working there what was that experience like
1: i mean it was like the best times and the worst of times it was like literally like a roller coaster would go from feeling on i mean walking around new york and i was doing stand-up a lot at the time so like i would write to like 9 or 10 on these rewrite nights and SNL, and then like go to like New York Comedy Club or like the Strip, and like just like do a set, and then you're there, and like everybody's like, "This guy writes on SNL." Like you just feel like you've you've arrived, and like that that city is is so in love with the show. So you like going out or going to a bar, and like a bartender is saying, "Oh, what do you do?" And you say, "You write for SNL." They're just like, "Holy shit!" Like it's it felt you feel so great, like you just feel so uplifted by the city, and the city's so electric and alive, and then. You have the lowest lows ever when like your sketches don't get picked or like you're pacing around at five in the morning in the office, like chain smoking cigarettes and just like don't have an idea or can't figure out how to make this sketch work. And you're just like hear people laughing down the hall and you're like, fuck, those guys are so much funnier than me. Like it's so it's such a roller coaster, like from feeling like on top of the world to feeling like you're garbage. You don't belong here. This is like like, you, you know, you tricked the world and now you're stuck here trying to fake your way through it.
0: How many of your sketches were you able
1: to get through? Um, I feel like we were able to make a video, you know, like one of the Good Neighbor shorts, maybe a third of the time. So we probably made like five to seven or eight, like Good Neighbor shorts with like the four okay. of us. Most of them never made it to air. They would just be put online because we always had these wackadoo. You and you're know. still in them. No, I'd have like a cameo if anything, but I was not, I was explicitly not allowed to be in them.
0: That is so shitty.
1: Yeah. I actually, um, well, it's whatever. I mean, that's so you know, weird. you, th- you gotta like, like kiss the crown like,
0: explicitly like you can't be in them though, even though this is what you guys do. I mean, it sounds weird. Yeah. I get it. Cause yeah, it's well, like, I wasn't hired as a performer exactly, and like yeah.
1: actually when I didn't, or when I got hired, I think when I got hired, uh, Yorma. And Akiva reached out to me, and actually, when I didn't get hired, they reached out and like took me to dinner and were like, just you know, very nice and supportive and like, you know, trying to talk me off the ledge basically. And I did not know them beforehand, but they were aware of us and you know we have a very similar path. And then when I got hired, I think they reached out again and were just trying to, or maybe I reached out to just be like, hey, can I get some tip tips before I go in there? And they said, um, which I don't know if this should. I don't want to. They basically said like, you're not as a writer. You don't don't write yourself in anything because they like that's not how it flies over there. Like, like that you you're there to support the cast, and if if Lauren thinks that you're trying to build yourself up, like he does not like that.
0: And so I knew you
1: know your role, and I was just like I'm writing sketches, and then like Bobby Moynihan would play the role I would play, but that's fine. He's the cast member, and it would only be when we would shoot and needed like there's like a few things like, and you know, one of this, one sketch, I'm a bartender. You see for like a couple, you know what I mean? There's like a few, if you look really carefully, like you can see me like kind of in the background, which was always really fun. Um, But mostly like I was there just helping the production go smoothly and making sure it was funny and you know, helping them write at night. Um, So we got like probably, we probably made six videos that year and I think I got like, which seems like such a small number I don't know, five sketches on the air? No, it must be more than that. I can't even think. One, two. I got a sketch on, like, my first show, I think, with um, Bill Hader, and that was, like, this is what I mean, like, the highs and lows. Like, it's like. very, very first show, you're, like, in a suit, you're running around with scripts talking to Bill Hader, the producer comes up to you beforehand and is like, you got to cut a minute out of this sketch. Otherwise, it's getting getting cut from the air. You're running around, scrapping things, going up to Bill Hader as he's getting like a Grinch costume on and saying like, "Hey, dude! So we're not we're skipping this part, and then we're going to this part." And of course, that guy's been on the show forever, so he's just like, "Got it." And then you're running to like you know a new cast member who's in there, like probably Pete Davidson or something, and like, "Hey we no, not doing this, doing this." He's like, "Okay, cool." And then you're running to the cue cards and you're like, "So this is right before. Oh, this is as it's air, live airing, like as the sketch before is. Ha- I mean, this happens all the time, which is like really? so exciting and stressful. Uh, so
0: they're like." really prepared but also unprepared well it's like
1: I have such a greater respect after being on the show because I feel like watching without knowing how it's made you see like cast members like reading cue cards and you're like what a hack like why don't they just memorize their lines you can't memorize your lines because you will get on stage and as they're counting down this happened a couple times like Beck is on stage with Kyle they're giving the countdown and I'd have to run up to him and say we're not doing the first speech we're starting at this second thing once Kyle has already entered. And he would just be like, okay. And then it's like, we're live. And then all he has, the only map he has to know what the fuck is going on is this cue card. Wow. And they just have to read it. That's yeah. insane. So it's, in, it's like I'm getting like chills thinking about it again. So it's so exciting. You're running around, you're running around, you're running around. And either it works out and the sketch plays great and you're like, that's awesome. Or you're, you're running around, you're running around, you're running around. And then somebody comes up to you and says... I cut for time. We don't have time to air it. And then your live sketch will never air. Wow. And you find out just like all that work all week long, all that blood and sweat and tears you've poured into it. It's just
0: pff, over. Really? Yeah. So it's like And it won't be used in another week. No. It almost
1: never. I mean, almost never. It, it happens Why occasionally. Why does it get cut? Just for just for time. You know, it's live show. So sketches run long. And,
0: and there's this huge team of people figuring out what they can put in. Yeah stuff like that
1: so then more likely something like that it's like okay we have three minutes to fill but that's also why sometimes the goodbyes are like them waving for like five minutes and other times it's like all right good night everybody and it cut you know like yeah. they just they have to build these like buffers in um but more likely it's like you have this four page sketch and then four minutes before you go on because you're the final sketch in the evening because all of our sketches were so weird that we'd always get the 10 to 1 spot and the producer would come up and or a producer would come up and say, "You got to cut a page and a half out of this sketch." Wow! And then you're just with the other writer, crashing out chunks, splitting up, running to all the different departments to make sure everybody knows, like sprinting through the halls.
0: It's insane. It's insane wow. and
1: super exciting and like a miracle that it happens every week. But just like, the show's just like can just crush you.
0: Jeez, um, yeah. John was telling me some more things. Yeah, like that, like controlled chaos. He called it, and just like the feeling that, like being on top of the world, being in New York, and being able to like go wherever you are, and you're like a celebrity. Yeah, and then also feeling like the least funny person ever. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's so weird.
1: The contrast is so, so bizarre. I mean, you'd be in the back of, you'd be in the back of cabs, and now every cab has a TV in it and they play clips from whatever and you'd see your sketch on a clip in the back of a cab like
0: it's insane yeah
1: it's insane it's like so fun and just and debilitatingly hard and cruel at the same time wow
0: yeah so after you did that you went back to Dreamcore
1: yeah so I came back and then Dreamcore started up almost immediately and that was like wild contrast too. that was like me Daniel the creator of the show and his buddy who's now I'm friends with but his buddy at the time Chris Rowe who was just the just the three of us were writing the first season. There was no budget. There was nothing. And it was just us like hanging out, writing out of Danny's apartment. Like this felt like Good Neighbor again, just like and it was making for each TV. other. And like, it was for TV, yeah. That's crazy. And making a show that's like live act, that's like this kind of bizarro office, like live action element. But then this incredibly imaginative, like dreamlike scenarios that is animation, which I had an experience in, which can just be anything, you know? So you don't have to write like, it doesn't have to exist just in this world. Like Dr. Roberts jump drops into the dream and you know, pilots pilots, a helicopter into a volcano and then like swims through lava with a lava shark. And like, so it's became, it's, it's such a dream. And like that team is so supportive and amazing. And the, and adult swim is so amazing. And they just like, let you fly. They just are sort of, like, let your freak flag fly. They're all about it. And to find out, we got to do it again with season two. So we did like six episodes for season one, and then we did fourteen episodes for season two. So like they were fans, and now we're doing ten episodes, but two of the episodes in season three are half hour, because I think they, I I think they're trying to gauge if we can be a half hour show. Okay. Because they're Instead trying
0: like twenty it, minutes. Yeah. Or well, so, we're
1: to, um really when you say half hour or quarter hour, That's so. What you mean. Yeah, so a half-hour show is like The Office or Modern Family, but really it's 22 minutes long because of commercial. Yeah yeah, 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 And then the the quarter-hour shows are like 11.5 minutes long. They're like 11 minutes and 30 seconds. So now we're writing now we're writing um, basically double episodes. We're writing 22, 23-minute oh, episodes.
0: It. You're going from the quarter to half.
1: Yeah, for for a few times, like a couple of them. The very first episode, as it, as it is right now anyway, the very first episode and the finale for season three. So ideally... Those quarter, those half hours or twenty-two minutes work, just as good if not better. And then on season four, knock on wood, uh, they'll just say, "Great, why don't you do ten half-hour
0: episodes?" Oh no! Nice. Or ideally,
1: they say, "For season four, why don't you do ten half-hour episodes?" And for season five, why don't you do ten half-hour episodes? And why don't you do them back to back, shoot them all together?
0: So when it's aired right now, is it? Uh, it's two quarter episodes.
1: Yeah, like back-to-back? currently. Yeah, right now it's two quarter hours, which. I think was just a programming thing that they wanted to do because they have a lot of shows that they want to put out, Um, because they're not related, you know. Yeah. It's like episode one and episode two aired last week or two weeks ago, uh, and they're not related at all. They're completely. That's really common
0: on those channels like uh, Cartoon Network and yeah, uh, like Nick and stuff. Yeah. To have like, I'm just thinking of like SpongeBob and stuff. I don't know like two episodes or like all the old cartoons are like two episodes yeah, and a half hour chunk
1: I believe that they know what they're doing because they've been you know programming a TV channel a lot longer than I have oh yeah um, but I don't know what I don't know what the logic is honestly I guess it's like so Dream Corp is like eleven and a half minutes long right now and it's so dense and fast and like it's it's like an orgasm it's just like when it's over you're just like what the fuck just happened like wh- what am I doing what am I looking at so I guess the idea of putting them back to back, then you kind of like you can absorb it more. But I would almost argue that it's, too, it's like a lot, to, too much to take in. Yeah,
0: it'd be a lot. I think for that's us, interesting. I think
1: the benefit for us is, you know, after seven weeks, will we'll, season two will have all been aired. And then we can finally put it on Hulu or they can put it on Hulu or Netflix or whoever where people are like actually going to watch it. Because mm-hmm. that's the crazy thing. Like, I don't know anybody who has cable. Like, I, t- I haven't had it in years. And I'm not years. getting cable. Yeah,
0: yeah. I'm moving into my new place. I'm, I know not, it's,
1: it's, it's You don't really need. It. I mean, you can. I get watching live TV. I'm not a real big sports guy, so like that doesn't appeal to me as much. It'd be nice to like flick on, you know, Fox News, my favorite news channel. But um, no, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. So nobody has it, and I think all these networks are scrambling to trying to figure out how to. What's, how, I don't know. What's next. Cause you can watch it live on like Hulu, like Hulu live is now a thing and you pay, I don't know, cheaper than cable and you get live TV. Is
0: Adult Swim on any of those? Yeah. Adult Swim is
1: on Hulu live and YouTube live TV. It's It's on all of them. All the like regular ones. It's like part of the standard packages. But apparently Hulu live has like a built in DVR, like a cloud DVR function Wow. So I might get Hulu. um, This is just a commercial for Hulu Live now, but I might get Hulu Live just because of that. Yeah, you can DVR shows up to like 500 hours or something.
0: Wow. And you just get cloud storage. Yeah. You just
1: do it from like Apple TV or whatever, or like Roku, which I have.
0: Wow. Um, Oh, do you have to actually use one of those? Oh, you mean mean the Apple TV on. Yeah, yeah. To watch the Hulu in the first place. Yeah. Or like
1: your laptop, you know, you just log into Hulu.com. But yeah, it's pretty crazy. Like, cool. we just found
0: this out last week that
1: our episodes were on Hulu. Like, nobody's talking really? to Really? Yeah. Somebody, like, called Danny and was like, hey, I just watched Dream Corp on Hulu. He was like, what? Was like, season one? He's like, no, season two. And he's like, okay, great. Good to know that we could be telling people to watch
0: it on Hulu Live. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. Um, so, I wanted to ask this. I know we're uh, we're at, like, an hour. so. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, I don't think it'll be that much longer, but... I wanted to ask you how you actually did the transition from writing sketches to longer form, like TV writing and movies, because that's something I'm yeah. struggling with figuring out how to approach it all. Because obviously there's you can get like all those screenwriting books like story and really like master how a movie's written. But I, I'm so overwhelmed by yeah, sure. all of
1: it. Um, I. I did that, you know, I read like Save the Cat and I tried to read story and just kind of found it a little dry, but um, uh, for at least from going from sketch to TV, I had like kind of people holding my hand because I was working at a company that had very long time TV writers. And so I remember the first time I got like a TV episode and they were like, you're going to write this episode. Like, you know, they held my hand and walked me through it. And this like, at least in that, and it's not the it's not like this in every room, like we would outline for a long time. So we would beat out this story for a long time. And that's just sitting around saying, Oh, what if they, they want to enter the turtle race? And so they enter the turtle in the turtle race and what happens? Oh, Golden steps on the turtle and the turtle turtle loses its arm, but then he casts a spell on it and it grows this like monstrous other arm that he pulled from another dimension. Like, that's you know, you're there's a bunch of smart, funny people in a room making each other laugh and building out a story. And then I would get tasked with writing the outline. So I would take a day and beat out the whole thing. And then we'd all look at the outline and read the story exactly how it is. Before there's any dialogue, nothing. Just like, you know, Golan finds a turtle. Golan breaks the turtle's arm. Golan fixes the turtle. It, you know, Golan uh, messes up and the turtle goes on a murder spree. Like, just really break it down just to the story beats. Everybody reads that. Usually there's a, next, a second or third pass on the outline. Like, well, this isn't quite working. We're losing it here. This doesn't really make sense. And then finally, you have like a more in-depth outline that everybody agrees the story is solid. And they say, here, now you go write it. So like you're writing from a map. Breaking things alone, I think, is really, really hard. And you have to be really dedicated or really like yourself a lot. Um, that's why like I'm writing this movie with two writing partners because like having two friends and goofing around and talking about the script is so much more fun than being by yourself and saying, is it funnier if she jumps into a duck truck here and crashes into the the Amazon wall? Or is it, you know, like having somebody to bounce something off of is so invaluable. Certainly there's so many writers who write in a bubble and don't have partners. And it's ultimately would be such an easier task because you don't have to deal with other people's schedules and what they want versus what you want. But I find it very difficult. So, I got lucky with TV um, because I just, you know, I had to learn it in the environment that it was happening. Because you
0: were hired to do sketches and TV. Yeah. But mostly you were hired out of the sketch stuff,
1: right? Yeah. Well, they knew I could write sketches and they were kind of building this company from the ground up. And... This is,
0: Kesem, Kesem no, this is um, the Casim. No, this is ADHD. ADHD, yeah. Maker was just sketches. It was oh, like okay, all yeah. sketches
1: or like, you know, like serialized shorts. Yeah. Um, and then the movie, like, I honestly like was a quote unquote professional writer writing TV and went and took a UCLA extension class in, screen, in screenwriting, which was like mirrored every class I had taken at UC, USC. Yeah. But I was just like, I just want somebody, I want a fucking teacher to be like, here's your task for the week. If you come back next week and you don't have your homework, you're going to be embarrassed in front of all these other people. And I just need that, you know. I need deadlines. Yeah, you
0: need like the financial stake if I'm paying for this class and the humiliation. Class. Yeah, of exactly. Like not yeah, you need to be invested
1: it in it. Um, and those extension classes are fairly, are you know, fairly cheap. I think it's like four hundred bucks. It's not cheap, cheap, but like it's not. It's not a US. I'm not going to college. Yeah, you're not paying yet.
0: like three thousand dollars for credits yeah, or something. I'm, I'm
1: going. I'm gonna get you know twenty or thirty hours of of training for like four hundred bucks is really good. Uh, and if you walk away from that with an outline for a movie, that's invaluable. Uh, and that's the whole goal. So I'm not above asking for help, seeking it out, or, you know, putting myself in a situation. I mean, like, there was all sorts, there were people who have written many movies in that class. There was somebody who never, who I can't ever imagine writing a movie, who was just like, could not even grasp the idea of, you know, like, just like, why are you here? Like, just the whole gambit of skill level was in this class. And, you learn so much from seeing other people's mistakes. You learn so much from your own mistakes. You learn so much from seeing people's like successes. And I, I just need that that schedule. I just need that. If I don't finish this, because it, you know, it would start with like, do the first 30 pages of your script, or it wouldn't start with that, but it'd be like outline the first act of your movie. And then next week you come in with that and you get notes and you read other people's and you just learn so much from reading it. So, I mean, community college, all these places have script classes. And I don't think anybody should feel above like, oh, I'm not gonna go to like Pasadena, Pasadena Community College and take a Intro to Film Writing class. Like, you're gonna absorb so much and being in that environment, like you'll pick it up so much. I mean, it's what I did at USC and then I was away from it for a few years and needed a refresher and just took it again.
0: That's really smart. I think that's something that I, I would consider. And people should consider that too.
1: Yeah, and there's also other ones too. Maybe it's not where you're at. Like I took, even more recently, I took one because I had this idea and I wanted to outline it and I wanted to outline this movie by myself. So I figured the best way to do it was to take a, take another class. I did some online class. I forget what it was called, but it's the same. It's truly the same thing. It's just a schedule, you know. And it was this was less more about the training. I mean, it, there certainly was instruction there, but this is more about like you've probably you've you you have a little more experience than just intro to like screenwriting. And it would be every week getting other people's outlines, reading them, and then, like, an hour-long Skype call with the whole class and talking about different people's outlines, as well as, like, basically a podcast lesson from the professor and then, like, a one-on-one call each week where you would ask them questions or ask them questions within the class. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, and this was, what, like, God, I don't know, two years ago, one year
0: ago? It was, like, an intermediate Right. Yeah. I forget what it's
1: called. Like, I can give it to you if you, or I can find it. But
0: yeah, that'd be cool. Was, there's a lot of them like them out. Coursera or Udemy or like no, one of those I mean, things.
1: I don't even know what those are. It was like it was online like class sites or something. I'm sure there's. I'm sure they're there too. I think you got to just see which one speaks to you the most. But this was like a screenwriter who does something called like masterclass or something. Online. Oh, one of the masterclass. Yeah, ones. something like that. Oh, okay. And now there's like what's the one. It's not the master class. I think that you're thinking of with that the would, famous. Yeah, it's not that. People. But, but okay. it had some kind of the similar name. And those master classes are really interesting too. I don't. I've never tried any of them. But I don't know. I'm very. I have no problem. Like I have so many like self help books. There's probably one right over there. Like, really, I, have, I do too. I am
0: all about that.
1: Yeah, and like, I'm not ashamed of it. Like, I don't know what. Maybe that's not over there. No, that's about polyamorous relationships. <laughs> um. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not. I'm not above it, and I think if whatever it gets it done. If it is waking up like Seinfeld and writing for three hours, just like, and you can do that, that's fucking great. If it's more like me and writing for fifteen minutes, and then patting yourself on the back and derping around on Reddit for fifteen minutes and going, like, oh shit, and going back, like that works too.
0: Um, I'm probably more like that. Yeah, I'm definitely like that,
1: and I wish I wasn't. And I really, really wish I wasn't, but hey, it's it's working all right. So
0: that's awesome. Um. So I want one more thing I want to ask was okay so I asked you about the the movie right? so I literally didn't eat all day my brain's barely functioning Oh it's all right um I had a important thing to ask I think Huh do it Is Oh it? oh yeah so I I always ask this to people cuz I I'm just wondering like people that are doing so many things how do you balance uh, like when you go out and do stand up and you're writing for like a TV show or a movie or you're making sketches, how do you balance your schedule? And like, I feel like specifically for standup, there's a feeling like if you're not doing stand up, you're just like,
1: yeah, you're not like getting rotting away. Yeah. Um, at some point, something kind of has to give. And a lot of the time, because stand up I'm not, you know, I don't have like a Netflix special that I'm preparing for. You know, it's just kind of like I'm staying sharp and I love doing it. So like, when I'm when I'm double when I'm doubling up on projects and like this the show and the movie like I'll just kind of make stand up take a backseat and like you know I'll have a show here and there but I just like I'm not pounding the pavement every night um, and it's such a bummer because like I, that's one of my favorite things to do uh, but it's just like it, it's just I it's better it's better to like have the movie and the TV show that I, my name is going to be on be as great as it possibly can rather than have that suffer because I was doing, like, a set at the comedy store. Yeah. So it's, it's knowing your limits and knowing, like, you know, just really examining, like, what do you have time for? What are you realistically going to accomplish? And if you can get by by going out and doing a set at night and then coming home and waking up early still and all that, like, that's great. I feel like I just can't, like... It's not even, like, doing it as much as, like, I'm not gen- – if I'm generating ideas for a script, then I'm not generating new, ma- ma- like, stand-up material at all, you know? So I'm less motivated to go out because I'm not trying out anything new. I'm just, like, yeah. oh, I'll go do this, like, kind of standard set I've been doing over the past few months. Um, so it's it's not – like, when I'm – like, I was just in Austin for a week, and I d- ended up, like – I usually book a bunch of shows, but we were kind of busy the whole time, so I didn't. And then on, like, Thursday, I, like, panicked. And we are just, like, I got to book shows and, like – Tried to book a show Thursday, ended up doing like two, almost three shows on Friday, and like got into that rhythm again just for like two days, and then like came home, like got back yesterday and was just like exhausted again. Yeah. So.
0: Do you go back to the material that you were working on when you return to do stand-up again? Yeah, like, you know, I keep pretty
1: pretty, um, meticulous notes about what set I'm doing and what jokes I did. So if i'm i haven't done a set in two, two weeks and then i go up and do a set i can just look at what's the last thing i did and go oh yeah that's a fun thing to say and and more now what's happening too is like there's a wealth of material that i did much earlier on and as a stand up and i feel like i've gotten better and i just abandoned those jokes years ago because i just got sick of saying them and so now i'm trying to like incorporate those in and like knowing now what i know how can i make this premise that i had back
0: yeah as a and kind of pom- redo it yeah
1: exactly like Uh, And, you know, that's a whole other conversation of just how do you organize your jokes and, like, where do you keep your ideas and and so they're available when you need them, you know. Do you have, like, a master copy
0: of, like, when you've done a joke, like, perfect, where you just, like, keep it somewhere? No,
1: because it's never, like, the same. Like, on some level, like, I would record every show uh, and then write in the notes of the record, like, I did this joke. Like, I'll just write, like, don't bother. Like, don't listen. You don't have to listen to this ever. Or, like you know, a great version of this joke is in this recording, but it's never written out fully. It's much more like off the cuff. Yeah, It's the same thing. Like there's beats all hit and I know where it's going to go and come from, but like, depending on what's working at the moment, like it changes and varies.
0: Yeah. I definitely struggle with figuring out how to like, when I'm just done with a joke for now, at least like where to just put it and leave it alone. I, I mean, I record my sets, so that's good. But I'd like to just be like, okay, these are my good jokes and just scroll through them or something. Yeah. It's hard.
1: It is. Yeah. I mean, I use like a note taking app called Evernote, but it's not, it's not perfect. You know, like I used to, used to have Google docs and there'd be one that was just called like all my jokes. And anytime I had a joke, I would just put it in there and give it a grade rating, like anywhere from A, B, C or D. Really? Yeah. And then if I improved it, I would raise the grade on it. And then, so if I had to do a long set, I knew like I could almost do it by grade. Be like, I'm gonna start with some A's, put a couple B's in the middle. Maybe I'll throw a C in there if I think I can elevate the joke higher, and then end with a bunch of A's.
0: So That's I just awesome.
1: like, <laughs> and that literally would be like doing a college or something. Like, I'll I'll bring note cards and I'll just do a note, joke on each note card, and I can kind of organize them by, you know, by subject and like kind of theme. And then I can, it's like, you know, this is also what happens in script writing a lot, and it's a really great tool. It's just moving around physical note cards. Yeah. It's like much, much, and we do it in Dream Corp like all the time where we'll have a story and, you know, it's we're not quite right with the outline and then we'll just make brand new cards and we'll put them up on the wall and it's literally just like moving cards around with tape and there's something about that visceral feeling like actual pulling something off the thing and seeing it like color coded and everything that's like so incredibly helpful. It's such a cliche I think like because you see shows about shows you see like a writer's room and there's all these public yeah, yeah, note yeah, yeah. cards and it's like oh I guess that just looks good and it's so helpful
0: that's awesome That's like a that's cool what I want that friends. office
1: my office and my house to become and I just haven't ever I might never really work out of there that's a the problem but just like or for stand up jokes I would love to have a permanent stand up joke wall that's like jokes I haven't told in four years that oh, maybe are so funny that's cool that's interesting these idea. are the current ones I'm working on but there's I don't know I'm not that I'm not that organized yeah. at least not right now
0: that's cool. Yeah, I need to organize my stand-up. Yeah, Thinking don't beat yourself that. up. I know. But um, well, cool, man. Uh, do you have anything that you want to plug or any shows upcoming? Anything people should check out? Um,
1: yeah. I wish people. I really would love if people watch Dream Corp LLC. I think there's nothing like it on television. Um, it's the cast is incredible. Like they so everybody's so super funny on it, and I just want to keep doing it for years and years. So. Check it out on Hulu Live. Okay. Or actually, uh, Adult Swim streams them all on their website, too. Nice. I think for free. I think every week they put up two new episodes. So, adultswim.com or watch it live at midnight on Sundays. So, after I write some more, I'm going to go watch it at the Holloway Bar tonight. Sweet. That's where we watch it every Sunday. You should come by.
0: Really? Where is it? Is it in Glendale? Wait, where's it? No, it's at Echo Park. It's
1: um, It's like Echo Park Boulevard in Sunset. It's a cool little bar, and they're really friendly with us, so... We'll go and watch the East Coast feed at 9 p.m. Yeah, and then cool. have some beers and pat ourselves on the back and then watch it at midnight.
0: Nice. Yeah,
1: so that's just an open invitation.
0: Cool. Come I'm going to put it in my calendar and hopefully I'll come by. Yeah, sweet. Sweet. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, awesome. Austin. Yeah. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for tuning into Working Comic Podcast. There's a new episode every week where I interview writers, directors, comedians producers any kind of creative thing you can think of and also the business side of things so club owners agents managers festival runners all that stuff so tune in every week and uh also follow me on social media at the austin naso on twitter facebook and instagram and you can also catch me on youtube with cha bros c-h-a-a bros one word uh we have some funny videos up so check it out thanks guys